This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Christy. Hi, Christy. How are you? Hi, Annie. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I was just commenting on your space. I love it. It looks so, so fun. Um, and you told me you were in an RV, which is so cool. So you're going to have to tell me about that. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I'm in a, an RV. I've been traveling for like three years full time in an RV now. So um, the space is small, but uh, as I mentioned, I just got back from a four mile hike. So a lot of my life is uh, thankfully spent outdoors. Um, and my dad and I actually kind of renovated this RV a few summers ago. And so it feels much more homey than my uh, 2000 square foot house back in Phoenix does uh to me at this point in life which is wild but so grateful for it all (laughs) that's so awesome so why don't you take us sort of back to the beginning in your journey with alcohol where did it all start for you yeah um a long time ago (laughs) over 20 years ago um which doesn't even seem possible since I'm only 35 um but you know, I was thinking about this because obviously I knew we were going to be talking today and I, this, my parents didn't drink, my dad or my stepdad drank, uh, my mom really didn't drink, but I distinctly rem- remember um, heading either to or from a volleyball game my freshman year of high school and my friend's parents actually had a cooler full of beer um, in the car and they were drinking it while they were driving us to or from the volleyball game. I can't remember which, (laughs) but I just think back and I'm like, what the hell? Uh, (laughs) Excuse my language, but I mean, they had other people's kids in their car and this was completely normal. Um, So I grew up in a, in a very small town in Northern Michigan. Uh, Drinking was everywhere. Uh, I had my very first drink when I was 12 or 13. I was in eighth grade. Um, One of my very good friends, his parents owned a liquor store. Uh, One of my other good friends had this large pole barn on an adjacent property. And one Friday afternoon after school, we, a group of us, probably about 20 of us, if I recall correctly, went over there and got drunk. Um, my first drink was either Jim Bean or Beam or Jack Daniels. I don't remember which. I just remember taking the biggest drink because everywhere you looked, it was so fun, right? Like everyone made it look so fun. So I took a big old drink and spit it out and hated it, hated it. Thought it was disgusting. Um, but I proceeded <laughs> proceeded to drink that night. 
Um, I think it was something different, uh, but I, I, I got buzzed. I remember my friend's parents picked us up and it probably was like eight o'clock. Um, but we all went back, a few of us girls went back to her house. And I remember just having that like euphoric feeling um, and giggling and laughing. Um, and this was in eighth grade. I don't, I don't think that we continued really to drink much more after that in eighth grade. I don't recall that. Um, but I do recall high school. We, we drank a lot. Um, I think it probably, you know, freshman year, maybe not as much, but definitely by my senior year, it was a consistent every Friday and Saturday, we were drinking at football games. We were drinking Again, I grew up in this small town, so we had these like party spots, um, probably about 10, 15 of them that we would rotate through and they would just be giant bonfires in the middle of nowhere that we would all plan and we, you know, would hope the cops didn't show up, but I feel like the cops didn't really care because we didn't really have much else to do. So our parents kind of turned a blind eye to it because like I was I ran cross country track, um, I was in volleyball, I got good grades, my mom was a school teacher, I mean, no, it just, they had to have known, because they weren't dumb, um, but th nobody cared, I mean, my parents would find beer in my car, and they'd take it out of my car, and then my stepdad would drink it in front of me, and like, joke about how he hated Bud Light, um, but he had to drink it, because I couldn't, um, and I just look back and I think like, oh my God, I was drinking and driving frequently when I barely even had a driver's license. I wasn't even 18 yet. Um, we, if, if it wasn't in a bonfire in a cornfield, we all had basements. And so in the winter, we would go into our friends' parents' basements. And, you know, I, again, I don't think they were, I think they just, turned a blind eye because they figured if we were all there at least we weren't out getting into trouble um and all of us were the jocks or the cool kids if you were will so we all got pretty good grades we all were athletic and we all were going to go to college or the marines or whatever it might have been and you know it just it was something we did and the pills and the drugs and those things were all around too and um it's just crazy to think about that and to look back and um I just like can't I can't even really wrap my mind around it um but then you know I went off to college and it was more of the same I I wanted to get far away so I went um, to school down in Detroit which was about three three and a half hours away from where I grew up um, I wanted to go to a bigger city um, with a little bit of culture because my small town had none of that. Um, I joined a sorority and lived in the dorms and the drinking continued. Um, at this point, though, it escalated because there were no parents. So it wasn't just limited to Friday, Saturday. It was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Wednesday, Friday, Thursday, Saturday, and then it it very quickly became almost a nightly occurrence of just drinking. And, you know, I had a job through all of this. I was getting pretty good grades. And 
she, I was a nanny, which ooh, it just, <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier today on my hike and it scares me to even admit this, but there were days where I would not go to sleep and I would drive to go take care of this little girl and drive her to school. Um, and I was, had to have still been buzzed, if not drunk. Mm -hmm. um, and I was caring for somebody else's kid. So the fact that I didn't get myself into some severe trouble or, or kill somebody is just not lost on me um, at this point. And all of that just continued. So after college, I graduated again, I had great grades. Um, I was still drinking very excessively, but everybody around me was doing the exact same thing. So I didn't really cause any, didn't cause any alarm for me. Um, I got into an accident. I remember one year in college, um, going to McDonald's, I had been drinking a lot. Um, I blamed it on the other person, told my parents it was a hit and run. Um, I drove away and I was, my, I probably, I technically was the hit and run person. Nobody was, it was in the middle of Detroit, so it wasn't a great area. Um, but the other person knew that I was drunk. They were also clearly impaired too. So I think it was one of those situations where we both just kind of like, hey, let's just go the other way. But I think back on that and I just think like, what the heck was I doing? I was driving and I was just so reckless with, with that consistently. So then after college, I followed a couple of my really good friends out to um, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Arizona, and uh, it was more of the same. Uh, Scottsdale is a beautiful area. It's perpetually spring break. So you're at the pool drinking all day, every day. Um, and it was, it was, we'd go hike Camelback Mountain and then go get drunk. Um, and again, I surrounded myself with people that were drinking just as much, if not more than me. So it made me feel okay about what I was doing. And I wasn't the only one drinking and driving. So it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, and I, I started working at that point at a pretty large online review company. And there were kegs in the office. Uh, wow. Our managers bought us drinks. We were encouraged to drink at lunch because um, it loosened us up on the phone. So we would go down to lunch at this bar that was right next to the office. Uh, we'd have lunch. I'd have a couple of drinks, maybe a couple of beers, um, leave my tab open, go back to work and come back in the evening. I mean, we would have happy hour. There would always be somebody to go to happy hour with you Monday through Friday, it didn't matter what day it was, which is obviously not healthy, but when everybody else is doing it with you, you don't, you don't think anything of it. Um, and by all accounts, I mean, I was at this point, I was, I had bought my very first condo at the age of 27. Um, after that, I bought a house at the age of 31 as a single female. Um, so, by most people, I mean, my parents, everyone around me, I was very successful. I made great money. I had a lot of friends. You know, life was good. It was what it was supposed to
to be, uh, but I knew, I knew that there was just something else like that. I knew that my drinking wasn't okay, even though my friends didn't seem to think twice about it. There was something deep down inside of me that just knew there had to be more. And it's funny, I look back, I, I carried your book around for years. Um, I bought this naked mind one night while I was drinking um, alongside these wine glasses that like keep your, keep your uh, wine extra cold next to the pool. <laughs> so I bought both of those. And of course I used the wine glasses probably immediately. And I uh, tossed the book aside and I carried, I carried that book around for so long. And it's funny because even when I moved into my RV, um, I brought your book with me and I was still drinking at that point, but out of all of the things I got rid of so many things. Cause I went from 2000 square feet to 150 square feet. You had to be very mindful of what made it into the RV and your book made it in, but I still didn't, I didn't read it. I went full-time in October of 2018. I didn't read it until January of 2020. So it's just, crazy of how long I knew there was something in the back of my mind telling me I needed to read this book telling me I needed to make some changes but I never alcohol had such a strong hold on me I couldn't I, I was too scared mm -hmm. I, was, I was terrified um and you know it's crazy because I look back and I I went through some really bad health issues um, a little bit before I quit my job in 2018, probably 2016-ish, um, I had some very severe GI issues. I had very bad acne. I had gained quite a bit of weight. I had no idea what was going on. I went to so many doctors and we did all of these tests and nobody could tell me anything that was, they couldn't figure anything out. But not one of them asked me how much I was drinking. Like, wow. None of them. Um, and now like looking back at that, it's just insane to me because now that I'm not drinking, I don't have any of those issues anymore. Um, and it's just crazy that like a health and medical professional wouldn't be like, well, Hey, how much are you drinking? Like that never came up after all of these tests where they couldn't figure anything out. It never, ever came up. So, um, grateful to know now what I do, but yeah, at that point, I, I had, I had no clue and nobody helped me. So they, they basically told me it might be stress induced and that I was probably just too stressed out because I was in sales. Um, and as you know, being in uh, a high stress marketing industry, like it, there's constant pressure. So my doctor recommends that I take a, a couple months off of work and things got a little better. Um, but I was still drinking. Um, so everything was kind of, you know, covered up by that and it wasn't perfect, but of course, of course, two months off of work, you're going to be happy. <laughs> I mean, it was great. I thought every, Oh, okay, great. So I went back to work. Um, at that point, uh, one of my very good friends, actually the guy that his family had owned the liquor store that kind of got me into drinking in eighth grade. Um, he had an accidental overdose. Um, and I think that's actually right when I, I bought the book shortly after that. Um, so he had an accidental overdose and um, I say accidental, I mean, are any of them 
truly accidental, right? Mm -hmm. That we're putting that much alcohol and drugs and mixing it together, like knowing what we're doing. So that had a huge effect on me. And I turned, I had a long um, standing relationship of covering and hiding all of my feelings and emotions with alcohol since high school. Um, So I think that was probably the first time that people maybe started to say like, hey, maybe you're drinking too much. But again, nobody really said that that often. It was a Mm -hmm. fleeting moment um, because I was still successful at work and everything was everything was good. Everybody around me was drinking with me. So, you know, if somebody died, you pop a bottle of champagne and you drink 10 of them that day or whatever. Um, and there's always somebody willing and happy to, to, to drink with you. So uh, it's just, you know, it was just a continuous thing. There was no definitive rock bottom for me. It was just all of these kind of skin marks across uh, the the days. And, um, you know, and, and 2018, I did this two-week trip to Hawaii, and it just like, opened my eyes of, uh, I want more out of life, and I came back, and a couple of months later, I quit my job and uh, decided that I had an interview for another job and decided not to take it and decided to travel, um, and at that point, I was still drinking, but I I cut back a little bit because of the, I was traveling solo as a solo female, um, so you can't really go out and get drunk, or you can, but it's not advisable, right. um, so I kind of scaled back a little bit, but as we know, when you scale back, you can kind of keep going back into it. And so um, fast forward, I was traveling. Um, I was making tons of friends at the RV parks and just kind of having a, a blast. And when you're hanging out with a bunch of people that are mostly retired, um, you drink every night and you hang out. And, you know, I switched from bottles of wine to boxes of wine because yeah, you don't. <laughs> you don't know if you're drinking more than a bottle. It doesn't really matter. Um, but then, you know, after all of that, like, I had a vacation with a few friends, and I was drinking rather excessively on that vacation because there was five kids and five adults, and it seemed like we could never get anyone together to like really get to do anything. So it was like, all right, well. I may as well start drinking at 10 a.m. because if we're just going to sit around here, like I may as well start drinking. All these damn kids are all over the place. Like what's, what else am I going to do? Yeah. And so I drank from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., 11 p.m. and started over again. And that was like a, that was December of 2019. And it was just uh, at that point, I really couldn't tell you when I had went longer than a week or so without drinking um, or a day, a day even. Um, and my best friend at the time, she said she was going to do dry January. And I thought there was no way I could make it through an entire month of not drinking. Um, so I gave her two weeks. I told her I'd do two weeks. Um, I My last drink was on January 4th of 2020. I didn't realize it was going to be my last drink. Um, and I went through that first week of just, I thought I had, I thought I was, I thought I was so sick. I thought I had the flu, um, COVID, who knows, you know, um, it it was the beginning of all that stuff. So, but now I know that it was a full blown detox. Um, Mm -hmm. and I 
God, I thought I was dying. And I was in this, this RV with my dogs and I just like couldn't even leave my bed. It took everything I had to go out and walk them. And at the end of the second week, I was starting to feel a little bit more normal. And so I told her, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it till the end of January. And I told her, I was like, you know, I've been carrying around this book from Annie Grace called This Naked Mind for years now. Now seems like a great time to read it. Like if I'm going to give this <laughs> dry January thing a go, like maybe I should read this book. It's been taking up a pound of weight in my RV. Is I should read it. Um, so I read it and I, I think it was like around chapter five or six that I just was like, holy cow, like just mind blowing. Like I remember calling her and telling her, you have to get this book. So we kind of read it together and she and I went to high school together. So she and I had been drinking all of this time together. Um, she lives in Denver. So we, we had drank extensively together so we both read it and I remember being just terrified to finish this book because I was so scared that I might not drink again I was like couldn't shut up about all of the things I was learning and I was like super annoying I'm sure of it um but it was a light switch that just was like holy crap alcohol is straight up and lying to me my entire life how did I not know this how um and it was just crazy um and I still I mean I've reread your book a couple of times I've bought your book for so many people so I feel like I have to keep reading it because when they're reading it I'm like oh yeah what are you talking about um but it's just like and I think maybe it's I quit smoking like four years ago now and I read Alan Carr this um the easy way to quit smoking and that worked really well for me then um, so I think it was kind of building off of that, right? So when I read yeah. This Naked Mind, I was like, what do you mean alcohol like causes depression and anxiety and, you know, makes sex less fun? Like what? I thought these were the things that we were drinking for and to achieve. And so um, it was just like mind blowing. And so my friend and I um, decided that we would go past dry January. Our birthdays are, and I had another friend that had a lot of health issues um, and he had got sober like a week or two before I did. And so it was, and he was also a very close childhood friend. So the three of us kind of just built this like community of support. Um, and then my friend Kelsey and I, she and I decided like, okay, we'll meet for our birthdays. Hers is in May, mine's in April and we'll drink then, but we won't drink until then. Well, then COVID hit, um, so we weren't meeting for our birthdays in April of 2020 or May of 2020, um, so I was by myself on my birthday, and there was no point to drink, um, and then it just kept getting pushed out, like, oh, maybe I'll drink now, or maybe I'll drink then, maybe I'll drink at this wedding, um, but I never really saw a point, um, and I was trying to date as a sober person which was interesting and but I met my current boyfriend who's also sober in July of 2020 and I think that that really helped kind of just feel the deal of like wow I really don't need alcohol to have fun and this new life is just so remarkable um and yeah that was long-winded but <laughs> oh I love it it's amazing <laughs> I think it covers most of the basis of um of the journey, I guess. Wow, that's awesome. So you said, you know, it was kind of weird to try to date 
sober. Can you talk more about that? <laughs> yeah, so I, um, I'm 35 now. Um, I was 34 then. So, you know, mid 30s uh, on the Tinder, on the online dating app. And I also travel. So people automatically assume the only thing I want to do is meet up and whatever, which is not the case at all. I wanted to like, just have somebody to hike with or like have a connection. And then now I don't drink. Um, so at first I didn't put it on my profile, but then it always led to really weird conversations of like, Hey, let's meet up for a beer, or, you know, whatever the case may be. And obviously I didn't want to do that. So I decided that if I was going to continue to try to date while being newly sober, I just needed to rip off the bandaid. And so I put it in my um, profile in my dating profile that I was um, awesome. <laughs> newly alcohol free and didn't plan on drinking anytime soon. Um, so if that was your style, then maybe we weren't meant to, to match up. And it's funny because if, I mean, shoot, two years ago, if you would have told me I'd be talking to you today, I'd be like, yeah, right. Um, and two years ago, if I would have seen somebody's profile that said they're not drinking, I would have ran so far the other way. Um, but I've talked to so many people about this exact thing because they're like, I struggle with dating while being sober, newly sober. And it's like, hey, if you... If somebody doesn't want to date you or go on a date with you because you don't drink, is that somebody you want to be with anyways? Because in the long run, if you're going to continue down this path, you can't date somebody that is that wrapped up in alcohol. And I know I used to be, so there's no judgment there, but like, just put it on your profile and get that elephant out of the room quickly because anybody that's going to swipe left because of that isn't somebody that I would work with anyway. I love that. And it's so fascinating how, like, how did it, how did this substance become such a prevalent thing in our society that we're judging potential partners based on if they do it or not? Like, I just, it's hard to wrap your head around. I mean, from this perspective, like I was obviously in it too. And I remember saying things like, oh, I don't trust people who don't drink, which (laughs) I don't even know what that means, but I I would say it because it (laughs) made me feel better about my own drinking. But it's just so fascinating to be like, wow, what else would we possibly do that with? Even if somebody was a vegan or had like really strict dietary restrictions or like, there's nothing else we would judge somebody to date or not date based on what they consume. And I'm like, how did this get all wrapped? It's so fascinating. It is. It's so wild. It's so wild to me. Just like being on the other side now, and seeing how prevalent um, and brainwashed, I mean, like, honestly, the society is like, it was shocking to me when I read in your book that more deaths occur from alcohol than all other drugs combined. I may be quoting that wrong. That's right. Prescription illegal. Yeah, which is just mind blowing. Um, it's crazy. I mean, so my, my dad um, had a stroke earlier this year and he's, he's fine now. Um, but he was in a medically induced coma for almost a week. Wow. And he, so my mom doesn't drink. He drank like one or two drinks a, a night, a beer a night, basically my whole life. And he, he's a very healthy individual. Um, but he has AFib and it was undiagnosed at the time AFib and then he had a stroke and this is earlier this year in March 
And so I had been sober now for over a year and not one of his doctors ever mentioned anything about the drinking. Um, and so I kind of nonchalantly started sending him a little podcast. I think you guys did a um, one about something about the how and talking about the health of the heart and all of this stuff. So I sent him that and I sent him just little clips and stuff from your book. And then for Father's Day, I bought him like $60 worth of non-alcoholic beer. And um, I'm happy to report that now he only drinks like one beer, one regular beer, maybe a week. Um, he's kind of, he's almost cut it back completely. But what's alarming to me is that I was the only one that even questioned the fact mm -hmm. that he was drinking a beer or two. And he said that he went through detox while he was in the hospital. Um, and the doctors basically said, well, if you keep it to one or two a day, it should be okay. And it's just like, it's wild to me that even health and medical professionals are not questioning the drinking I, of mm -hmm. people. I have another friend that the, her doctor was ready to remove her entire freaking uterus. And now she stopped drinking. Thanks to your book. I, I got her into your book and she stopped drinking and now her periods are completely fine. Wow. And it's like, it's just so crazy how much alcohol takes a toll on your body, but nobody wants to admit it. And I, I was that same person. I mean, I, I would have ignored all of it. I, I think that the, it all worked its way out as it should have, because I wasn't ready for it previously, but I mean, it's just so crazy now to look back and obviously life isn't perfect now that I'm sober, but it's like, holy cow, waking up without a headache and the constant fog that I had is just crazy. And society just pushes it down our throats that we need it to have fun. And like, we would be flabbergasted if we saw a commercial for cocaine sponsoring the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, right. But Bud Light can be the sole sponsor. Like, it's just, it's wild it's just it's it's completely wild to me and I look around and I feel so sorry for people that are still stuck in that um this kind of idea that they needed to have fun mm -hmm. uh, yeah it's such a hard place to be stuck and yeah <laughs> I the medical professional thing it's unbelievable the I've read something recently. There's a great book called breathe by James Nestor. And it's just all about the breath and like how important the breath is. And he made, he made a similar um, analogy where he basically said, okay, like you go in to these doctors and you're having all of these conversations about all of these other things, but the thing that you do to keep yourself literally alive every single second of every single day is never questioned. Nobody's like, how is your breathing? Are you breathing deep enough? Are you getting enough oxygen? Are you breathing through your nose? Because that's where the filters are. Like this whole thing of breath has just become the soup. Like, of course we breathe. That's not a medical thing. That's just a human thing. And he's making the point like, no, this is like, should be one of the primary medical things. And then I'm like, oh, that's so fascinating, but so true with alcohol too. It's just become the soup. Like of course, everybody drinks. So why would we even look at that or surface that as a main cause? And then in my experience, the doctors that are like, no, I, I want to, they are met with resistance even within their own profession because people oh, think, yeah. oh, well, you're just, you know, you're making this too big of a deal or whatever else. And it's, 
yeah, it's amazing. But I do, I do think perspectives are shifting slowly, but it is totally fascinating. And which is great and amazing. Like I, we were at a restaurant the other day and I saw a non-alcoholic beer on the menu in Arizona and my dad ordered it. And I was like, just so happy on so many levels of the fact that like he ordered a non-alcoholic beer, um, but that it was there. But it is, it's crazy because, you know, everyone looks at me and is like, oh my God, I'm sorry. Like you have this problem with alcohol. And like, I'm sorry. Like, are you okay with me drinking around you? Which is nice. I appreciate that. But like, I am not the one with the problem. (laughs) Like, I am the one that's been freed from it. And like, I am so grateful that like, you know, you talk about the spontaneous sobriety and I truly feel like, I mean, I... I didn't realize my last drink was January, going to be January 4th at like 10 PM um, because I thought for sure I would go back to it. And I keep, I told myself, and I still tell myself this occasionally, but like, you know, I'll drink again someday, um, but not today. And, and that's what I told myself when I quit smoking. And I really, you know, like you've said, like, I, I don't think that I ever will, but I'm not going to put that label on just because I don't, don't want to but it's just like all of these people that like feel like they look at me because I you know I I'm the alcoholic I have the problem and I have nothing against that word I by definition was an alcoholic I was a very functioning alcoholic but it's just crazy that it's like you have the problem like no actually I don't because I have so much more fun now Um, I wish I could transport everybody that drank the way I did to now to like mm-hmm. past the six months past the like year mark because the first six months they were hard um you know they were hard it was uh, I think that I'm lucky COVID hit because I didn't have any temptation um and I had a pretty solid base when shit hit the fan like it was four months in so I had a solid base um but you know, it also led me to not have any temptation. I wasn't going out to bars. I didn't have um, a lot of that. My life was spent outdoors hiking. And so, um, but yeah, it's just that whole, you have the problem because you're not drinking thing. It's just yeah, it's mind blowing. interesting perspective. I saw this comedian once and he's like, he doesn't drink. And he was just like, what if we did that for mayonnaise? Like, are you okay if I eat mayonnaise? I know you're not eating mayonnaise right now. Should I go outside and have my mayonnaise? Like, it was just so funny. I was like, oh, that just really puts it in perspective. Right. It's, it's a perfect lead-in to um, what I want to finish up on, which is, Christy, if you were going to go back in time uh, to the self that, you know, really did feel stuck and you were going to tell her a little bit about what life is like for you now, what would you say? You know, I've thought so much about this question because I knew it was coming, <laughs> but um, I wish I had a better answer, but I, I you know, I, I think, I really think that I am so grateful for where I am today because of where I've been, and I don't, I wouldn't take any of it away, but I also would tell myself that everything that you think alcohol is giving you, you will truly find in sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the clarity, um, the financial freedom. I, I just looked on my app. I've saved over 10 grand. Wow. Um, and let's be honest, I probably lied a little bit about how much I was spending a day on alcohol. Um, cause I've been sober now 674 days. So, um, 
I would tell myself like, it's okay. Allow yourself some forgiveness and some grace. Um, but all of these things that you're struggling with and kind of the blah feel that you have will go away and you'll find so much more joy and your friends will still love you. And you know what, you're going to have the ones that don't weren't, um, good friends anyways. Um, but you're actually going to have so much more authentic connections. Um, and life is just truly so much better. And it's not that it's easy because it's definitely not easy. Sobriety does, isn't, doesn't make things all rainbow and butterflies that, you know, but, uh, it makes dealing with things, uh, easier. And I don't want to end on a terrible note, but like earlier this year, I lost my dog. He was only eight and a half years old. He was attacked mm -hmm. and killed by another dog. Um, and the only thing that got me through that entire thing was the fact that I had zero desire to drink. Mm. Um, I realized that it doesn't help you solve problems. It makes them worse. Um, you're just going to have a hangover. You're still going to have the problem in the next day. So, you know, I would tell yourself that you're so much, you're capable of so much more. Um, and that it's easier than you think it is you just kind of you have to get started and I think that's the truth about so many things in life is you just have to take that first step and it's going to be scary as hell but usually it's worth it oh, I love that oh I love that such a good answer so thank great you. well thank you so much for sharing your story with us it was absolutely amazing thank you I honestly like like I was saying before we started, I feel like I was so nervous and so excited to talk to you today. Um, but I felt like I knew you because you've been in my home for so long, like just like binging the podcast and rereading the book. Um, and I just, I, I wouldn't be here without your book. And I have probably bought it for 20 plus people at this point. And every January I buy it for more and I can't wait to buy it for more people this coming January and I just am so grateful to you and your team and your work and I just hope everybody reads I wish I could buy it for everybody <laughs> I'm so <tough>. broke <laughs> but I, I just I appreciate you so much and thank you well thank you so much Christy Let me ask you a question. What is better than change? <laughs> Lasting change, of course. And if you've had trouble making change stick, either with alcohol or in any other area of your life, you are in for a treat. I created the 100 Days of Lasting Change to ensure that we don't just change for a moment, but we truly transform for a lifetime. And this program is so close to my heart. Thousands of people have been through it and their results are incredible. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at thisnakedmind.com forward slash 100 days. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.